welcome to the Heart Failure Insights podcast. In this podcast, we hope to explore the latest treatment and management options for heart failure patients. Whether you're a healthcare professional, patient, carer, or family member looking to learn more, Dr. Julianne Locke, our host, will be interviewing some of the leading cardiology experts across the globe to help us uncomplicate the subject. Arwin Cardiology presents the Heart Failure Insights Podcast. This episode is not intended for US and UK-based healthcare professionals. Welcome to this Heart Failure Insights Podcast. My name is Dr. Julianne Locke, and in this series, we will explore the latest treatment and management options for heart failure patients with preserved or reduced ejection fraction. From discussing the epidemiology of the disease to the management of patients with comorbidities, This podcast will arm you with the information you need to improve your clinical decision-making and provide your patients with more treatment options. So far in this series, we have expanded on the benefits of empagliflozin to heart failure patients with preserved or reduced ejection fraction from the Emperor Preserved and Emperor Reduced trials. For this episode, we will look at what further insights can be gained from pooling these results and hear the potential of empagliflozin as a treatment approach for patients right across the ejection fraction spectrum. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Milton Packer. He is a distinguished scholar in cardiovascular science at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas in the US. He is also a visiting professor at Imperial College London. He is one of the world's leaders in the field of heart failure and as a member of the FDA for over 30 years, he has been involved in a huge amount of research. He's also founding member of the Heart Failure Society of America. He has published over 600 peer review articles, reviews and editorials. It's a great pleasure for you to join us today. Dr. Packer, welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, We will have a wonderful discussion. Indeed, we will. So, so far in this podcast series, we've discussed the benefits of empagliflozin in patients with preserved and reduced ejection fraction in terms of reducing the risk of hospitalization or or indeed death from cardiovascular events. But in this podcast, we're going to discuss the findings of the combined results of the Emperor Preserved and Emperor Reduced trials. So why was it decided to combine the results and what was the benefit of doing so? Well, the uh, original design of the Emperor program, I say program because the program consisted of two trials. The two trials were conducted at the same time by the same group of investigators designed by the same executive committee uh, with almost uh, the same protocol, the same endpoints. And so when you have two trials, which are essentially sister trials. Uh, It makes so much sense to combine them, especially since the separation between the two trials is based on an ejection fraction of 40%, which is just an arbitrary number. Uh, And and so uh, we learn so much more by putting the two trials together than by looking at the trials individually. I guess it was important that the, it was planned from the beginning, essentially, to pool the results. And that's quite important as it's allowed for a well-powered study to look at all the endpoints and is a rich resource of information. So what did you find from pooling the results? 
Well, we found that the effect of uh, empagliflozin on heart failure hospitalizations, which is a dramatic effect, it's a 30% reduction in the risk of heart failure hospitalizations, was consistent across the full range of ejection fractions. Uh, and uh, there was some attenuation at the very highest ejection fraction, but from almost all patients in the trial, uh, a 30% reduction in heart failure hospitalizations, a consistent uh, benefit in terms of other heart failure events uh, and on quality of life. So uh, we, we saw consistency across the spectrum of ejection fraction. And that's reflected in the individual trials and it's particularly strengthened in the pooled analysis. And what did we see in terms of patient quality of life scores? Well, quality of life scores improved uh, and it, it they improved to an extent which is very comparable to that observed with other effective therapies for uh, heart failure, uh, we still struggle with how to assess symptoms and quality of life in a big, large-scale trial. Uh, we, we, we don't have great ways of doing that. We have great ways of measuring events, uh, major events that happen to patients. But in terms of day-to-day -day quality uh, of life and how people feel and how they can function, we still struggle with how to do that. The, the nice thing is that there's typically a concordance between what a drug does on heart failure events, heart failure hospitalizations, and what it does on symptoms and functional capacity. And you mentioned briefly there that at some of the higher ejection fractions, maybe the results weren't as strong or there were limitations there. Uh, was that ejection fraction really above 65% and what were some of those limitations? So the uh, we did find some attenuation in patients with ejection fractions of uh, over 65%. Uh, it was a small group and uh, we uh, really do not understand uh, that group very much. Others have studied uh, this group and it's a very different group of people uh, from most other individuals with heart failure. The ventricles are very small. They tend to be elderly, hypertensive women. Uh, and uh, I think that we don't really have a treatment for those individuals. Those patients uh, typically don't have major increases in natriuretic peptides, and they get symptomatic primarily during exercise and not at rest. So it's a very specialized group of individuals uh, for which I really think there we don't have a treatment. But for that represents probably about 10, 15% of all patients with heart failure. So we've discussed the improvements in, you know, time to first hospitalization, cardiovascular death outcomes. What were the other things that were seen with the emperor pooled data? So we're 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 also seeing uh, a effect on um, a EGFR slopes. It's estimated glomerular filtration rate, uh, and we were uh, we pre-specified that analysis because uh, we knew from the diabetes trials, large-scale diabetes trials, 
that uh, what the, the two most important features of SGLT2 inhibitors was not only their ability to reduce heart failure hospitalizations, but their ability to reduce renal events. And uh, we thought that uh, looking at uh, glomerular filtration rate slopes uh, might give us some clue. And in fact, uh, in uh, our, the two trials, the rate of decline in glomerular filtration rate over time was slowed in the empagliflozin group uh, compared with the placebo group. Uh, but the um, meaningfulness of that is, is a little bit difficult to discern. Uh, we found a reduction in renal outcomes, major renal events in emperor reduced, uh, but not in emperor preserved. But actually, uh, we we found a reduction in renal outcomes up to an ejection fraction of about sixty percent. So uh, we're we're still struggling with um, how much of that decrease in slope is translated into a renal. Uh, benefit. Uh, we uh, definitely saw that the lower ejection fractions, I'm not certain that we saw that the highest ejection fractions. And in terms of um, maybe adverse events, what sort of data were you getting back on those? Well, the uh, across the entire ejection fraction uh, spectrum, uh, this is a exceptionally well tolerated drug. Uh, number of people who uh, experience adverse events was very small, uh, typically uh, 1%, 2%, uh, typically not imbalanced between the two groups. There was an increased uh, risk of genital tract infections and urinary tract infections. We, we expected that because we saw that in the diabetes trials. Uh, that really did not uh, impair anyone's ability to take the drug. And so uh, this is an exceptionally well-tolerated drug. And what's nice about it is that it's uh, once a day and uh, there's no uptitration. And that's not true for most drugs that we use for the treatment of heart failure. Most drugs that we use for the treatment of heart failure uh, are given uh, more than once a day. They require uptitration sometimes over a period of weeks or months. And uh, many of them are accompanied by hypotension, uh, which can be uh, a bit problematic with some drugs. Um, that wasn't an issue uh, with empical flows in, in across any patient with ejection fraction. Didn't matter. And of course, heart failure patients don't tend to just have heart failure, I suppose. Did you see the results consistent across different ages, BMI, or maybe hypertension or diabetes status? Was it fairly consistent, the results, regardless of what the comorbidities are of the patients? So the results were consistent across all subgroups. Uh, didn't matter what uh, the uh, demographic, clinical variables, uh, didn't matter what the comorbidities, didn't matter if patients were obese or had impaired renal function, uh, didn't matter if they had diabetes or no diabetes, uh, exactly the same uh, uh, effect size, uh, the same effect on heart failure hospitalizations, 
across the entire spectrum of, of ejection fraction. So uh, the, one doesn't have to think about uh, whether the patient who they're seeing uh, is uh, has been excluded or is not a candidate for for this drug. Uh, the uh, patients enrolled in, in this trial represented uh, most typical patients with heart failure uh, that physicians see in their daily practice. So we really have seen the benefit to heart failure patients really with a variety of ejection fractions, obviously some of those limitations above 65%. Um, and the lack, I suppose, of medication-induced hyperkalemia with empagliflozin seems to be quite important. What does this mean for clinicians and patients? So that, that was such an interesting finding. Uh, we One of the uh, concerns that we have with the use of mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists is uh, they're wonderful drugs, but uh, there's a certain percentage of people who develop increases in serum potassium. And in some cases, it's a bit worrisome uh, for reasons that we are beginning to understand. Uh, SGLT2 inhibitors reduce the risk of hyperkalemia. Uh, and that's been seen now in several trials in with different SGLT2 inhibitors in heart failure, uh, also seen in trials of SGLT2 inhibitors in type 2 diabetes. So uh, this uh, appears to uh, be a, a really nice benefit, and it increases the tolerability of uh, drugs like spironolactone or aplerinone. And that's the reason why we are strongly advocating that these drugs be started before or current currently with an MRA, uh, because uh, it is a, there's such a useful interaction between the two drugs in terms of the attenuation of hyperkalemia. And are we seeing those results in both male and female patients? It's pretty consistent again across subgroups. Uh, very consistent across uh, all also all subgroups. Very interesting effect, and uh, we're very pleased to see it. Well, Dr. Packer, this has really been a very interesting conversation about the insights gained from pooling the two results of two large clinical trials into one big thing. It's great to know that across the ejection fraction spectrum, empagliflozin is proving to be an effective treatment. And this lovely, unusual side effect I suppose side effect, but side benefit of it, the lack of medication-induced hyperkalemia is is really providing a lot of promise, particularly for some patients where there may have been those worries before around kidney problems. Now, if you wish to find more about these clinical trials, please feel free to click on the link in the show description for the published article. That's all we have time for in this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and I do hope you enjoyed this episode. In the next episode, we will explore the outcomes in patients who are being treated with acute heart failure while hospitalized. In future episodes, we will also explore some treatment options and real-world case studies. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest discussions and to help spread awareness. Follow and subscribe. You can find us on your favourite podcast platform and rowin-cardiology.com.